Hey guys, hope this video finds you all home and happy and healthy. Welcome to a virtual edition of Salt Company from my very own living room. Uh, if this is kind of painfully awkward for you and this isn't really your cup of tea, it's not your preferred way to do this whole church thing, join the club. And I guarantee it's not more awkward for you than it is for me right now. So we're going to get through this together and in true form, just let it rip and see what happens. Uh, definitely a weird season we're all in. It goes without saying almost, but uh, it feels like, I don't know, the best way I can describe it is like the ground beneath us is like shaking, like everything that we've been used to and everything uh, in our daily routine and the way we're even entertained or the social stimulation we get or the plans we have for tomorrow or our financial savvy, whatever it is, uh, I feel like it's kind of eroding beneath us. You know, and I think tonight is a good night for some fresh hope, for some good news straight from the Bible. Uh, I hope that you can find this freedom that the book of Galatians is talking about. And you can actually like, like let it sink into your heart so that it can actually change you. And then I actually give you a joy and a sense of peace in a time that doesn't really offer us much of that. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Galatians 3, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, if you've been with us pre-quarantine salt company, or if you're kind of like a new attender uh, online, we've been going through this uh, book of Galatians, this series we're titling Freedom! Exclamation point. Uh, and what the book of Galatians is all about is Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, this super missionary, is writing to this church, and he's pretty ticked off, right? Uh, he had delivered the good news of the gospel to them. They put their faith in Jesus. They were really excited, whatever. Uh, and now they're kind of turning away from that. Uh, what we see in Galatians is Paul, out of this like deep well of love, it's just like exploding with anger because of the lies that have been preached to the Galatians uh, when he's not there. And what's worse is they're actually believing it. And they're actually believing these uh, false teachers, these Judaizers. Uh, unfortunately, when they believe them, they start to walk away from Jesus. Unfortunately, when they believe them, they start to walk away from the freedom uh, from sin and death that Jesus bought for them. Uh, and you can just feel this heated anger coming out tonight. Uh, you can hear Paul's frustrations with them. You can hear Paul's just frustrations with the state of the world, kind of like a lot of us feel right now, just like this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, but he wants to call these Christians, these Galatians, to a much higher standard of freedom as they turn back towards Jesus. And so what he is going to confront specifically tonight, uh, what I think a lot of us are going to be confronted with specifically tonight is faith. Paul is going to confront the Galatians straight up in their faith. Uh, faith, a really churchy word, uh, but it's a really important one. And if you were wondering what faith was, uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives a really good description of it. And I know a lot of you guys probably know that verse, uh, but I'm going to read it in the King James Version because I think that actually gives the best description. It says that this is faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me read that again. The substance of things hoped for. Like it's physical and it's the evidence of things not seen. Not a blind shot in the dark or stupid people, uninformed, not smart people kind of hoping for the best whimsically. Uh, it's an experience, right? It's an experiential belief that we can lean on God's promises. Faith is something that actually dictates the way that you live your life. And this is why Paul wants to confront the Galatians tonight. Uh, this is why I need to be confronted tonight. This is why you need to be confronted tonight. He wants to ask the question, where do you put your faith? Like, really? 
not just like what do you believe necessarily like in your head but where do you put your faith in the way that actually dictates the way your life is going is it in yourself or is it in Jesus those are kind of the two options that Paul lays before us in Galatians 3 tonight is your faith in yourself or is it in Jesus really in Jesus not what do you intellectually think about God but what faith is actually in the driver's seat of your life and your soul right now? So we left off a couple weeks ago uh, with Mark closing on Galatians 2, all right? And this is the closing statement of Galatians 2. This kind of like explosive banner of good news uh, painted across the top. It says, I, Paul writing here, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Wow. It's a very powerful chunk of text. A lot of really powerful words in that, but it's really, really good news. What this is saying that in Jesus, we were freed from our sins. We were freed from the grave. That as Jesus entered the grave on our behalf, we wouldn't have to anymore. He literally gruesomely died for our rebellion against him. And Paul's strong language is pointing us to the truth that when we put our faith in that, when we put our faith in Jesus and the good news of him on the cross, that it is finished, in a mysterious, beautiful, wonderful way, we'll be united with him. That that death that he died on the cross will actually be ours. And that that resurrected life that he experienced after that would be ours as well. That we would be free and that we would have everlasting life with him. That's the good news. That is really, really good stuff. And it's a gift, right? That's what the word grace means. It's a gift, which means we couldn't earn it. It was just freely given to us from God, despite our rebellion, despite our lack of good for him, he gave us that gift, free from death, free to live. And so the table is set. That's how Galatians 2 ends. That's why Paul is so astonished here in Galatians 3 as to what is happening to this church. I'm going to read Galatians 3, 1 through 9 for us. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why Paul is so ticked off with these people, why he's so astonished and really passionate about the state of the church in this time, is that they have walked away from simple faith in Jesus. They walked away from simple faith in Jesus and they started to believe that their own works could somehow make them more right with God. In other words, the works down on the cross of Jesus' hands being pierced with nails are being forfeited and substituted with the works of their own hands. That what Jesus has done was not enough 
And so what the Galatians would bring to the table would make them even more right with God. These people at one time, honestly, that they had this incredible, real, physical truth of Jesus dying on the cross presented to them, and they proclaimed faith in that. That's what it says. They proclaimed that faith in Jesus, but their way of living now does not proclaim that same faith. The way that they are living now, Paul says, is proclaiming faith in themselves. They know in their heads the story of Jesus quite well, but the truth is no longer near and dear to their hearts, dictating the way they live. Instead, they wish to add rules, laws, and practices to prove how in they are with this God. How'd they do that? Well, it's the cunning but super simple tactic of false teachers, right? It's not bringing in something completely new, but it's taking the words of God and slightly shifting them. It's taking the words of God and twisting them a little bit, kind of polluting them, if you will. That, yeah, sure, Jesus died on the cross for sinners, these Judaizers would say. And instead of throwing that out the door, they would try and twist it to make themselves feel just a little bit better. The theology of the cross is a very offensive theology. Like what we just read in Galatians 2 before this. Like it literally says that you have died on the cross with Jesus. Like that you were so far off from God that you need to put that old self to death if you were to be made right with God. That is offensive. And so these false teachers are coming here saying, yeah, no, no, no. We don't want anything to do with that. Yet the, Jesus is okay. Like we want that. But to make ourselves feel maybe a little bit better about ourselves, we're going to add some rules. We're going to add some laws and regulations, maybe some old Jewish principles and tactics here, specifically circumcision. And anytime a pastor's ever talked about circumcision, they've always wondered how to get around talking about circumcision. But we're just going to say, to be part of the club, they had to have a new tattoo, right? They had to like match or something. Okay, they, get, they all got this new tattoo that's going to be synonymous with circumcision. Just spare me that one tonight. Um, but this is what they were doing. They're adding these things to the cross. They're adding these, these things to the good news of the finished work of Jesus. In other words, they're saying that simple faith in Jesus wasn't even enough anymore. You need to reassure yourself by proving to the world and to yourself and to God that what you bring to the table is actually really, really important. What you do to get closer to God what you have tattooed on your arm is what makes you more valuable. Okay. How could they fall for such an obvious lie? Like this is not even really that close to the truth. It's like you're, you're seeing right through this with me, aren't you? Well, I can answer you this myself. You don't need a fat theology textbook to figure this one out. Uh, you just need a mirror and an honest memory. That's what I've experienced reading and studying this passage this week. You don't need a fat textbook to figure out this pitfall of false teaching. You just need a mirror and an honest memory. When I take inventory of my life, especially when I'm sitting here by myself with nothing to do and I'm taking inventory of my life, I think it's frightening how similar I am to these Galatians. This lie, the subtle twisting of the truth that is urging uh, me to add my own works to the finished cross is subtle, but it's actually powerful and it's really, really effective. I started this out by talking about like that shaky ground beneath us, right? That idea of everything that we've been grasping onto, everything that makes up our daily rhythm of life has been like eroding away from us and we are left with 
uh, a lot less than what we're used to. This season we're in, whether it be like your social circles or your expectations from friends or uh, I don't know how you budgeted out your year, your plans for your future, the affirmation or the impressiveness that you're used to getting on a weekly basis or throwing at other people, how much you're noticed by others. I feel like it's all been loosed from my white knuckle grip. Whether I noticed that I was doing those things or not, I feel like in the past week, God has proven to me that, yeah, what I had in my fist, what I was clinging onto so deeply, so desperately, has been loosened for me. And the question is, could God actually be up to something with this? I know we all have seriously different circumstances here, so I'm not trying to make light of your situation right now, but maybe life has been shaken up. Maybe God has shaken up life so much right now so we can actually see what's clearly important. When I look around my house right now, I don't see anyone. <laughs> when I look at my schedule tomorrow, I don't like get excited for what's coming. I don't see much stimulation and excitement coming from me. When I think about my own future, the future of the National Basketball Association, I have no idea what the future holds. But I am left with one thing, me and my God. I'm just wondering, at least on a personal level, if God is elated that I finally have nothing in my hands to put my faith in anymore. That I can't impress anyone with what I say or do, that I can't distract myself with mindless entertainment or even distract myself with good things like ministry and performance. So I can finally ask this question. I think Paul is asking the Galatians tonight, where is your faith? I look in the mirror, where is my faith? Where is my faith really? Is it in Jesus alone or has the poison of self, even the subtle poison of good intended things, started to creep in and push Jesus off the throne and the driver's seat of my life and brought in things that are more self-gratifying and impressive and make me feel better that aren't actually the gospel, that are adding to the cross of Christ. When I look back on the week, I don't find anything to be proud of. When I'm listening for like people's praise and affirmation in this empty house, I don't hear anything. When I look in the mirror, is there anything left to make me feel more validated before this guy? No. It's all gone. And I know that's shocking for a lot of us to just have your life rattled like it has been in the past couple weeks. But I can't help but see this as an opportunity to come back to the simple faith that Paul is pointing us toward. Paul is saying this, that when you have faith in the finished work of Jesus, your sin has been paid for. God has completely forgiven you, made you delight in his eyes. No amount of good things that you could do now can make you loved by him anymore. <laughs> to put that a little better, God will not love you anymore because of the good works that you bring for him. He has already loved you enough to kill his own son on a cross for you and you didn't deserve it. Now you're not fighting to deserve it. This is what Paul is urging us towards, that amazing truth. And this is not a slam about doing good or living lives of obedience. Don't hear me say that. That's not what Paul is saying tonight. But this is a slam on doing good in order to impress God, impress others, or impress yourself. 
This is not opposed to putting forth effort when you follow Jesus, but it is opposed to earning the love of Jesus. Do you hear that distinction? It's subtle, but it's really, really important. Like the gospel is not opposed to you putting forth effort. Effort is not the problem here. Earning is the problem. I couldn't earn what Jesus did for me on the cross. I couldn't earn that forgiveness and that approval from God. And yet it was given to me as a free gift and you couldn't either. And you never will be able to. Think of it like this, okay? The gospel is like a fancy, amazing banquet feast, okay? I don't know if you ever had one of these. The most visceral image that comes to my mind uh, is every year my family, the Ellers, would this family, I call it my family, almost my family, this family, the Ellers, would take me on their Christmas vacation, snowboarding in Colorado, and we'd always go to this incredible steakhouse. I don't know what it's called, I forget. Uh, but it was just like the best meal that I look forward to every single year, okay? I'm talking uh, any kind of steak you can imagine. Like not just normal steak or big steak, but like the kind of steak where they massage the cow while they're alive before they kill it, so it's like extra tender. Or if Cows on your thing, they had bison meat from Colorado that was incredibly good. Every side that you could possibly imagine, like wine that was so good that it was like wasted on my unrefined palate. Like we're talking about like a banquet feast where there was laughter and joy and so much to eat that you couldn't even handle yourself. It was like a little slice of heaven. Okay, now imagine this. Imagine I show up to that trip in Colorado and we show up to that restaurant and I bring something. I bring the best thing that I can bring. And if you don't know me too well, you probably don't know that I pretty much am useless in the kitchen, okay? I, I live here by myself, and you know I've been eating for the past week? Uh, I've been eating my best thing that I can make, which is tacos. Uh, and these tacos are actually pretty good, honestly. I want to defend that a little bit. They're straight out of Aldi. I'm making myself. They're really, really good. But compared to this banquet feast that I'm talking about in Colorado, uh, imagine I walked in with my pathetic little Aldi tacos and I show up to the Ellers, this family. I say, Hey, look what I brought as if this meal needed anything added to it. What do you think they would say to me? They'd say, dude, what are you doing? No, no, no. Like the cows have already been massaged and killed and the steak is ready. The wine has been poured. There's more than enough for all of us. You don't need to bring this. You don't need to bring whatever those Things are those Aldi tacos? No. This is so much better than what you could bring to the table. Come, eat, drink freely, have a good time. The call of the gospel is simply to believe that God has something better for you than you could ever manage for yourself. Your faith needs only to be in him as you believe that there's no more room or reason to find worth in what you can bring to the table. That's amazing news. Moving, moving from uh, faith in yourself to moving from faith in Jesus just looks like you showing up empty-handed. And so how do we make that step away from faith in self to a faith in what saves? I'm going to finish this off, read verse 10 through 14 of chapter 3. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, 
the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We are left tonight, guys, with a chilling warning. The reason we don't want to be left in faith to our own self and to our own efforts is because we fall short of God's perfect standard. That we have sin that has defined our lives, sin that described here as a curse. When we stand before God and we are in sin, we are condemned. No question about it. When we stand before God and we show him even our very best, it is so far from perfect, it can be only described as a curse in the sight of God. Do we actually want to be defined? In the eyes of God, when it's just you and him, when it's just me and him standing alone in the end, do we actually want to be defined by what we bring to the table? Absolutely not. I, for one, want to get back to the simple faith of my Jesus. I want to use this season, even of being alone, to throw away any unnecessary trust I have in myself and what I can bring to the table, what I can earn with these hands. But the question is, how do we do this? It's really simple. We read these words and we take them very, very seriously. If we want to throw away faith in ourselves and move towards faith in Jesus, we need to plunge into the depths of the riches of the cross that we read in these pages. Where Jesus, though he was perfect and never knew the curse of sin, his lips never had to see, his hands never had sin, that perfect God-man became sin for us as he hung up on a cross. The perfect son of God, 100% deity, chose to be scarred forever by sin so that we could be forever set free. This is how we move towards faith. If you want the secret to life-giving faith, here it is, guys. There is no secret. <laughs> there is no secret. It's the cross. It's the good news of Jesus. Paul brackets this rebuke in Galatians with two wonderful, color, colorful, visceral depictions of what the cross was like. Paul says that when we hear this good news, the Spirit of God himself can actually deliver these words to our souls that bring life from death, turn cold religion into burning love, and change simple head knowledge into life-changing faith. And I can't help but think that in a time of unbelievable uncertainty that God has left one thing blindingly clear for all of us to see, and that's the certain, real, physical death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And his raising from the dead three, three days later. He's beckoning us to come to him tonight. Even when the world goes crazy and we are pent up, we can find the truest freedom that only God can offer. I think our challenge this season is not to make the most impressive to-do list or to be some kind of social media hero who uh, looks really good and how they're social distancing and make it look like you're having more fun than everybody else. No, our greatest challenge is to get into this faith-arousing Word of God, the Bible, every single day. You want to know the best way to fight isolation? It's knowing the truth that we're not alone.
that Jesus draws near to those who call on him, that he can give you a small amount of faith that will change your life forever as you see that brutal cross as beautiful. This is the wonder of the spirit of God, guys. That the depths of God, his spirit, the very core of him, would come colliding with the depths of us and who we are. That from the inside out, we would be changed. That he would turn our isolation into freedom because God is near. That he would use a lack of our own selves to promote a greater faith in Jesus and only Jesus. So guys, that's my prayer for us tonight. That all the angst that we're feeling, all the impatience and confusion would be replaced with faith. And not in ourselves that we need to impress our God anymore. That the work of the cross just screams, it is finished. And we can dance and celebrate even alone in our house with our families. That the tomb is empty and Jesus is who he says he was. Let me pray for us really quick. Only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is. To think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. Father of Jesus, love's reward. What rapture it will be. Prostrate before thy throne to lie. And gaze and gaze on thee. God, would you take our small wavering faith and anchor it in the truth of you? Even a mustard seed of faith, God, the smallest amount of faith that we can imagine in you is enough to overwhelm our entire lives of sin. And so would you refresh us, God? Would you bring us together? And would you give us a peace that overcomes any circumstance, even the most confusing of circumstance? I love our people, God. And you love us. That is good news. Amen. All right. I'm going to throw it back over to Dalton, guys.